Thanks, Simon. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for coming. When you've got my wife upstairs, honestly, but then you, you get another shot at it afterwards. Look, if you want to get a prophetic word, put on a clown's outfit and sit in the, fr sit in the front row, okay? Let her, let her pick you up. A big red nose and a wee hat, funny thing, like this here, okay? I always say that I, I taught Priscilla everything she knows. Not everything I know, but everything she knows. Not true. Um, so I'm going to talk a little uh, a bit today about culture, and uh, I've, got a, I've even got a diagram here. Because of the size of it, please, please, you know, if there's something you're sort of a question about, chip in, ask me a question. It's, it, you know, it, it's, not, it's not like a big preach. It's, it's we're kind of working through some stuff here. Uh, just to set a bit of context, like get a bit of context. I, I was uh, saved when I was uh, 16, and uh, my family, not my mum and dad, they weren't Christians, but all, both sets of grandparents were brethren. Anybody ever heard of brethren? Yeah, anybody ex-brethren here? All the best people are ex-brethren, aren't they? Come on. And uh, so I got saved. And, you know, real wonderful conversion, 16 and a half. And uh, we, every Sunday night we'd have a gospel service, 7 o'clock, as you do. Do you remember those days? Remember we used to have a gospel? Yeah. And then 6.30 we'd meet for the prayer meeting. We'd all go into the back room and we'd get on our knees and we'd pray that God would bring the sinners in. But he never did. And, and so, uh, I, you know, when you're that sort of age, it must have been about 17, 18, and I said to my grandfather, why do we do this? And he says, our job is to preach the gospel, and their job is to come and listen. <laughs> Which I didn't, I didn't believe it then, and I don't believe it now. Uh, so I said, well, why don't we invite some people? Which the elders thought was a really novel idea. <laughs> you know, why didn't we think of that? Oh, it's, uh, this, is, this is an absolute fact of story. So I said, well, look, why don't we? And I discovered that there was a, a newspaper you could get called the Good News Newspaper. Anybody remember those gospel, uh, global, whatever, outreach thing? And you got this sort of testimonies of, of um, sports people, and you put your logo on the logo, <laughs> you know, Brethren Assembly logo, and, and you put the times of your meeting on the bottom of it. And, uh, and so we arranged tonight, they, they came to my house. I had been driving, so I must have been 17, 18. And, uh, and the papers came to my house and we went down to the hall and nobody else showed up. I was the only person who came. And so the tr I, I, I was flabbergasted. So I went to the next, literally the very next house that was at our gospel hall and knocked the door and a man came and he said, I said to him, hello, my name's Paul and... I would like to give you a free newspaper. What oh, she was thrilled at. And uh, I'd like to invite you to our gospel service on a Sunday night. And uh, he looked at me and he said, oh, you're from the BBC? And I, I went, uh, no. And I repeated this, you know, what I just said to him. And he said, well, I haven't told you, have I? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, about 15 years ago, when you were really, you know, he said there was a fight in that church, like a, a, a punch-up. And he said, it spilled out onto the, onto the car park. The police were called and two of the men were arrested. And he said, from that day to that, we call it the BBC, the Brethren Boxing Club. <laughs> he, actually, he actually said that to me. And, you know, so I packed up my newspapers and went home and, and asked my grandfather. And he said, yeah, that's absolutely, uh, that is true. Now, the reason I tell you that is because I suppose I, uh, when I was talking today about breakthrough, there was one of those little moments in my life which, which, you know, in retrospect, was important. I, I, Edwin Burke, the, the uh, Irish philosopher, once said, every conviction was a whim at birth. Think about it. Every conviction was a whim at birth. In other words, you look back on it as the booming voice of God, but actually at the time, 
It was just a little, some, somebody nudged you and, went, well, and something happened. And so I remember, I remember coming home, sitting in my bedroom afterwards and thinking, Lord, could we have a church where somehow the only thing that wouldn't stumble people, the only thing that might stumble them would be the cross of Jesus? Now, I didn't know what that looked like. I had no idea what I was talking about, but something was birthed in me that day. And I suppose, you know, fast forward a few years, that's how we eventually came to start the church. So we did because we wanted, we wanted to have a church uh, where, where insider, out, outsiders could feel a bit like insiders and we, connect, we could connect with people where they were, etc. And that's what we tried to do in Belfast. So that's where I'm coming from today. That's, that's, that, this came out of this and our kind of journey. So in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, uh, verse uh, 30, what is that? No, verse 19. Uh, Paul says, that, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessing. And Paul, what Paul's doing here, he's not saying that every time he went to a new people group, he changed his message. That's not the point. The point is that he adapted to the culture without compromising integrity or the gospel, but he meant that he was connecting with the people who, who didn't understand uh, what he was. So he adapted himself and fitted into their culture. And so our mission as a church is accomplished and, and cu communicated through a style which I think should be dictated by the culture that we live in. Let me, let me put something, let me draw something here and I'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Yeah, you might have seen something like this before, but. So I've divided the church into a quadrant, okay? So the first one I'll put down is three, T-H-E-O-L-O-G, theology? Theology, that's it. Okay, mission, that's it, that's right, that's right. My spelling's terrible. Okay. And okay, so I've divided it into four. Can you see that, Simon? You can see it. So theology, mission, uh, structure, and culture. Uh, no, uh, theology is the body of truth that you believe. So it's the Bible. You can do, do the wee circle, and you can use this. Okay, uh, anytime. Uh, theology is the stuff that we believe, Scripture, etc. And generally speaking, it doesn't change. Now, you know, there are nuances. I I used to believe that the only thing women could do in a church was knit and, and cook, and somebody's got to knit and cook. Um, but you know, but then I, the, well, I meant boys can do it too. Uh, and then I met my wife, and that all changed. <laughs> uh, so do, do you understand? So. But generally speaking, this is really important. But here's the point. But the people who are out here, they don't care. They don't really care. They don't, nobody, nobody, you know, that isn't an issue. Of They don't care about theology. They, they, they don't know about theology. They don't, they don't know anything. Uh, and then again, structure. Everybody has to organize themselves a certain way. And it used to be years ago that you went to a church because it was elder-led, pastor-led, bishop-led, you know. But it's not, nobody cares anymore. Seriously, it's a, the world we live in, they don't care. Even Christians don't care, to be quite frank with you. 
And then there's remission, which essentially is Matthew 11. Uh, not Matthew 11, Ma- Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that really never changes. But here's what I, here's what I discovered, is that uh, certainly working in Belfast, that we, what we were doing was, well, we thought we were doing this, telling people about Jesus. In actual fact, what we were doing was we preached that through that. Okay? So, so the filter... The filter that people had was the culture of the church and our, our personal culture. And, and uh, what we realized was that we think we're saying God is love and wants to give you a wonderful plan for your life. And they're, they're over here, they're going, these people are weird and, and they don't love us. Do, do, you under, do you understand? Not not because we were deliberately we, we we you know not because we deliberately didn't love them because we certainly tried to and we might we might have been we might have been weird, but Paul engages with the culture that he finds himself in. So the point is simply that the mission of Paul and the gospel message, even in Paul's day, was communicated through a culture, which connected with this culture here. Now my 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 view is this. That well, there's well, this is what it is. You can't change this. This will be what it is for all eternity, or for, for you know as long as we're on this earth. But actually, I think one of the things that we need to consider on a regular basis is what is the culture of our church, what is the lens through which people are hearing the gospel, and my my contention is that we can. We can actually change that. Um, I suppose somebody said to me once, how, how did you build the culture in your church? And I said, well, I, I, we did it when there was nobody else to be. The culture, you know, we, we put the chairs away, swept the floors, opened the doors, and, and did all the rest of it. You know, when there was just a few of us, we built the culture. We, we had to be the culture. And that's what I discovered, that you can't build a culture unless you're prepared to be that culture, whatever that might look like. So it requires a group of people who, who will, not everybody in a church, but a, cert, a group of people who are strong enough to actually have a common set of values and a common culture and then live out of that. Because the reality is you, you don't, you don't um, create a culture by talking about it. You create it by actually doing it and being it. And so uh, your, your culture often is only ever as strong as the lowest common denominator. So it, it means several things. You've got to decide on the culture that you want because here's the reality, is if you don't create the culture, somebody else will. So you have to be deliberate about it and what it looks like. And I know that's the sort of thing that Leon has done a, a lot of work on. And, and it's also even on your team. Once you get a group of people on your team who might have a different spirit, then that's the pace and level of where your culture will be set. So there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of wee tricky things here. So the faithful people in your church or organisation are culture carriers, and they're the ones who will teach others the collective habits long after some others have gone. They carry the vision and they make the changes necessary to maintain the heart of the mission. Could I say this? Culture trumps vision and strategy every time. You know, we, we kind of go, well, what's the mission? What's the vision of this church? Or what's the strategy of this church? And that's really important. But more important is the culture. Because you, can, you, can, you, you might have a great vision and a great strategy that's communicated through a lousy culture. And it'll never get done. The culture is the primary thing. I, honestly, as we, Phil and I travel around all the time, all over the place. And what we find is a lot of people have got a, they've got a great sound gospel message. You, do you understand? Their theology's fine. Their structures are okay. The mission, they've got that pretty folks, but some of them have got terrible cultures. And they're, they're trying to communicate this through this 
this flawed and, and never thought about culture. And so whatever, whatever you're part of in your organization, your church, you have to address the culture issue all the time. It's unique to you. It's your, your thumbprint. And someone described it as, it is the total range of activities and ideas of a group of people with shared transitions, which are transmitted and shared by the group. In other words, the way we do things. This is, this is our culture. So, so here's the point. You've, your, your family's got a culture. How you do Christmas. Isn't that right? We have four daughters. They, they all come home, but I still do the vegetables. You know, that's the culture. I have to do that. They have this Hawaiian wedding cake, which we eat once a year, which I suspect nobody likes. I know it's sort of, it's sort of shredded pineapple with cream. And, uh, and the girls love you ha We have to do it. They have to, we have, Stella has to do it. It's part of, what is it? It's our Culture, exactly. So we've all got that. So marriages of culture, churches of cul culture, and, and your culture is the lens through which you view your life. And if you change the lens, that's the culture, then you can change the view and change the future. So I would suggest to you that culture of your church is the most important social reality in the church today. Because you might call yourself a friendly evangelical church, and you, you've Mr. Weirdo at the front door. Who, uh, Mr. Grumpy, and so as soon as somebody comes in, they think, I thought this was a friendly church. You, do you understand? It, it, it's, it's important that you do that. And, and again, if you, not only if you, if you don't create the culture, somebody else will. If you, don't know, if you don't, haven't identified your church's culture, you just ask a stranger who comes in here, and with five, uh, within five minutes, they'll, they'll give you some inkling of what the culture might be like. And so uh, the, the other thing that's important in this is that the culture of the lead team will eventually be the culture of the church. So, so the, the, the core people, let's put, I, don't mean, I don't mean the elders even. I mean, that's, that, they're there, but I mean, there's, there's got to be a group, group of people who, it's the 80-20 principle. Most of the work in the church, 80% of the work in the church is done by 20% of the people. You say, well, we need to change that. You know, honestly, that's the way it is. I, I don't know what, what your finances are like, but I guarantee you I'd put money on it if I was a betting man. That within two or three points, 80% of the money in this church is given by 20% of the people. It is, it is the way, seriously, it, it is what, and so what do you do? You say, well, we need to work on the 80%. No, you don't actually. If you're a leader, you work on the 20% and you encourage the healthy to look after those who need brought in. You expand the 20 in the sense of that group of people who own the culture, and you find that they will influence uh, the other people. And so, so uh, well, I mean, again, what the lead, put it like this, if the, if the people in the church who are the 20% don't give money, then nobody will. You say, but they, how, do, how would they know? It's a spiritual principle. The culture of the lead team becomes eventually the culture of the church. So if, you'd, if Simon doesn't pray, why would anybody else do it? We, held, we used to hold three uh, weeks of prayer and fasting every year in our church. We had a meeting at six, nine, one, and eight. All right? And I went to every one of them. And the end of the week, I was tempted to become a Buddhist the odd time. <laughs> You know, I've been to so many meetings. But my, my line was, if I don't do it, why would anybody else do it? 
I never prefer to do it. Why would anybody else do it? And so one of the most decisive and important functions of leaders is the creation and management of the culture. So you need to have a group of people who share that culture. So you need to communicate. But here's, the, here's a really awkward one. The awkward one is that if somebody on the team does not, is not living in that culture on a regular basis, somebody's got to challenge it. That's a really hard one. And the, the, what you've got to have is you've got to have a group of people who will talk to each other. So rather than having Simon and Leon and, and Joe and Helen and the rest of the other, you know, go uh, be Mr. Nasty all the time, you have to be friends enough with people to put your arm around them and go, actually, that's, we, we, this, what's wrong? Are you okay? Part of our culture is this. That's not, that's not what's going on. There's generally something going on, so you don't need to beat them over the head. If you're an Ulster man, you do. <laughs> that's what we do. We, we do. No, really, it's a very aggressive culture. You know, Ian Paisley is a caricature, but it's not far from the truth, seriously. So in Belfast, it is a, it is a in-your-face culture, especially Belfast. So, there was, you know, so my line was, you know, uh, do, 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 under, do unto others before they do it unto you, you know. <laughs> no, well, not quite, but there's a, there is an there, there in-your-face type of a culture. And, uh, and so in our place, you'll challenge anything. Everybody gets challenged. That's the way. The way I used to have a little uh, saying in our culture, it was, go ugly early. <laughs> go ugly early. Because, you know, if, the problem is if you just keep ignoring a problem, they're never going to go away. It's just going to get bigger. So, so deal with the issue. So, so the point is, what's my point? My point is very simply that if somebody's, if somebody's playing up, somebody's got to talk to them. It's a bit like, I mean, this is a bit facetious, but you know, suppose one Sunday you're, you're in church and somebody pulls a, tr a tambourine out of their bag or, or their... That's applied that was a woman, didn't I? I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> Out of their large pocket. And, uh, and they start playing the tambourine during, during the, the worship, the song worship. And everybody, everybody's dying. Do you know? And you, what you do is you just clench your feet and, and your toes and your buttocks. And you go, oh, I wish they would stop. And, uh, but, that, but nobody, you know, you don't say it. And a small other church funny if you don't say anything. Big church you might, but a lot of small churches nobody says anything. Well, the next week they, they, put, they, they do it again. And then, and then somebody else is going, must be okay. Must be okay to have a tambourine here. I'll bring mine next week. <laughs> you know, and then somebody goes, Well, wow, why don't we why don't we why don't we all bring a guitar and have a Mexican morning? You, do you know what I mean? It, it's sort of it all somebody's got to have the you know what's to actually go, actually, you know something? You're a really skilled tambourine player. Could you do it in your own bedroom? You know, could you do it with <laughs> could you, you so, so you've got to do that. Somebody's got to do that. So you reinforce it by talking about it, but primarily through uh, behavior. And again, what I just said was what the culture is, the culture grows. And if you don't model it out, somebody else will. So we sat down and we said, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about with this. Now, I'm talking many years ago, and we kind of craft, over the years, we go, what, we, what, what are we like? What would be it's okay? What would be what would we like it to be like, and what would we aspire to, and what are we going to pay emphasis on? Because you know our doctrine was reasonably sound. You know, as sound as any of us really are. You know, I, I suspect, you know, we'll get to heaven and the Lord say, "Well, you did really well there." That's just stupid, you know, <laughs> or something like that. We no no one group has a has a monopoly on things. Sure, they don't. You know, we get that, and and, and so on and so forth. But what can we actually work at here? So we we decided. 
Yeah, Northern, again, I, I go back to my culture, and it is a, an aggressive and legalistically aggressive society. So the churches are, there's a, there's a tendency to be legalistic. And, and it, is my, it is my fallback position. It, when I'm in the flesh, I go back to that. Honestly, I have to watch it all the time. It is, you know, the performance, you've got to do it. If I don't read the Bible every day, I, I have a struggle mentally. I know that's bizarre. After what Priscilla said, you know, honestly, it's 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 where we go to. So I've got a we've got a we said, well, let's create something different. So the first thing we said was, let's be. I know this is very trendy. Let's be authentic. So we're going to be real. Okay. Now it seems very simple, but um, I, what I mean is that we we don't. You know, it's not that we we don't steal your purse when you're here. But we tell it like it is. We have a culture of openness and vulnerability, and uh, we would uh, we said because what I said this morning was people identify with you in your weakness, and so that became something that we said we would do. The problem is if you if you pretend to be other than you are, even as a Christian, and I'm not saying that you spill it all over the place. But what you do is you shut people down because when they come in, they go, goodness, if they knew what I was really like, they'd hate me because they're all so really, they're so godly and lovely in here. So you open a door and give people permission to actually be authentic. We, we went, there's a couple of things I'd, I'd give you an example of. M many, many years, we have a daughter coming 40 this year, which I can hardly, which is I'm only 49, so I don't know how that happened. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Forty, uh, but you know, without dishonouring her, you know, many many years ago, you know, she just completely uh, lost the plot. I, I, could, I wouldn't even begin to tell you how how bad things were. Uh, she went to university, did a year, quit, and you know, life just spiraled down. And um, so, w what we had to we had the, we had to do, you know, with on, with trying not so, not so that it wouldn't embarrass her because she well, she was away from home. We thought, do we do we pretend that nothing's going on? Because actually, that's what Christian leaders do. They pretend nothing's going on. But actually, you know something? Everybody knows because <laughs> their kids know and they tell, they tell their families. So we decided we would be open about it. And honestly, it opened a door. Uh, it opened a door and gave people permission to be authentic and be honest and get a bit of help. And looking back, I think we, we maybe overshared, but it gave us an opportunity to unleash something in our church for honesty. And, and uh, you know, so we, so we did that. I remember we had this uh, young man, his wife, she, he married, they're both in the army. She was American and she was a Christian and he wasn't, and he came from a very Republican background and he was very resistant to come to our church. But when he, the first Sunday he came in, two things happened. Number one, he said, he looked up at me and he said, if the pastor is a skinhead, it must be okay. <laughs> he actually said that to himself. You know, it can't be all that bad. And the second thing was, I confessed that I'd been caught speeding twice that week, which I wasn't. I was. I said, "Look, this. You know, if this results in me losing my license, I'm. I'm really embarrassed about it." But he actually thought it was great. He said, "If you can speed and be a Christian, maybe he could be a Christian." And it was one of those, one of those moments, you know, which you, you kind of get. And and so we decided, look, let's be honest, let's be open, let's be authentic, and let's tell it the way it is. Uh, and, and let's say to, let's p take people on that as they talk about that journey, uh, and realize that you know you you are you, you're uh, I, I don't I don't particularly like it's technically true I'm forgiven not perfect uh, because it implies that you can stay 
imperfect. We're on this journey of progressive sanctification, but nonetheless, let's be an authentic people. So that, that's the, if you came to our church to this day, you'd get that, where people, people go, these people are just like me, uh, but they found something I don't have. And, and that's, been really, uh, that's been really encouraging. So authentic, authenticity, honesty, openness, that's the culture. So, so to, remember what I'm talking about? It's communicating this through this so that the people here, and, and people do, I, I mean, I don't know what it is, but I, 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 I alluded to it today, but the girl that I go and get my head shaved uh, with, I mean, honestly, there isn't one detail of her life that I don't know about. Does that happen? Does that happen all the time in hairdressers? Does it really? Does it? I, I, I'm, sli- I'm getting a bit hot here. Hold on. Uh, yeah, I, I sort of feel a bit, I feel a bit um, yucky about it, actually. You know, she's telling me stuff, and I'm going, I don't want to know that. You know, please don't tell me that. You know, I just, then, I, then I thought to myself, she thinks I'm her dad. Or a grandfather, even. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's that plays into it as well, but but there is a there is a culture where people want to be authentic and not be judged. So you've got to be really careful about that, that we don't endorse their sin, but nonetheless we recognise that hey, we we are like you and we were with you. Okay, number two for us was I'm not going to write them all down, but encouragement. We we said we're going to be encouraging. Now. Again, sorry, to, I'm painting a very negative. Uh, um, Northern Ireland is honestly, it can be the most discouraging place because the, I think that the Irish thing is that the only way to get through all the stuff is to make fun of it. So we tend to discourage everybody. So like my mother went through life with going, no matter what you said to her, if you said, I've got this, I've got this purple patch in my bum and it's got orange spots on it, not only did she have it as well, but she would say, I knew somebody with that, and they were dead in two weeks. Do, do you know, it was like, no matter what you mentioned, everybody was dying. And, the, you know, it's, isn't it a lovely day? Yeah, but it could rain. Do, do you know, that's sort of, it's, it's that, it's, I don't know if it's a British thing or what it is, but we certainly are inflicted with it. And so we said, well, what we're going to do is uh, encourage. Now, I, I, funny enough, when they, and, and this came very early on, we got quite into uh, personality profiles which I quite like, actually. They're really fascinating. And they said, that they said that of me, if you don't hear anything from Paul, assume you're doing a good job, because if you're not, you soon will. Because <laughs> that that's my personality. It's, you know, I just assume. And, and in fact, it was just one of those things. I just assumed, if I didn't say anything, they, they assumed that I thought they were doing a great job. So they, they, I, had to work, I had to work on that. But we, we said, let, could we create a culture where... Um, uh, where people have uh, are actively encouraged, where actively you you create a culture of encouragement. It's funny we uh, the Channel Four and the BBC, BBC have done three programs on our church, and Channel Four one of them. The first one was awful. It was terrible because is it, we were very radical, you know reached in the Catholic community, et cetera, et cetera. And we had people, we had people with um, placards walking up and down. And uh, the BBC tried to do a program. And here's the opening line of the program. They, they filmed people walking into the church. And here's what they said. We wouldn't let them come in. They said, everything seems okay. Well, immediately you go, well, it seems okay. Does that mean it's not okay? You know, it was terrible. The second one was less terrible. Uh, they, they, yeah, I know. Channel 4 was brilliant. They, they did great pro- programs. 
And then the last one, about seven years ago, BBC did an hour-long programme on CFC's contribution to the music industry in Ireland. Which, uh, not the Christian music industry, but we had produced so many. So people like, yeah, people, yeah, like Snow Patrol. They were, they were Snow Patrol. Well, they, they, those, those guys came out of our church. You know, they were, they were yeah. Uh, when jo Johnny uh, Quinn was Robin's first drummer, you know, there's, um, oh, who else? Um, Four-door Cinema Club, does that, that mean? And you, you got those ones, yeah? Okay, you know, all, all, all those guys came out. And uh, a guy called Duke Special, uh, Brian Houston, you know, just endless songwriters and et cetera uh, in the church. And so the producer eventually uh, spoke to me and, you know, had an interview with me. And he said, do you, he said, do you um, so what was your strategy? <laughs> and I said, I thought for a second, I thought, I didn't, I said, you know, I didn't have a strategy, but I had a culture. And I said, what was your, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, I think the leader's job is to create the culture. And what was the culture? I said, it was a, Encouraging culture. Let's have a go. So if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Nobody died. You know, let's have a go at it. Let's have a try. So I created, I call it the soup of culture of encouragement. And something came out of that. And I think that's, a, I think there's actually just a little something there. You create the culture and God produces the fruit. Priscilla said today, the fruit, is, the fruit is the object, but it's not the first thing you start with. So I didn't think, let's have a, let's have a music songwriting culture. I thought, let's create an encouraging culture. And out of that, God brought the fruit. Because why? Because fruit belongs to God. We can't, we det we can't determine the fruit. We, what is it? Paul watered, you know, Paulus planted, whatever it is. It's in the Bible somewhere. And... Uh, <laughs> But God gives the increase. Do, do you understand? So there's a work for us to do. What's our work? Our work is culture. And, and I think encouragement was so important. So we decided to do that. We went, we went on the, I'll just tell you this one. We, we, I, just, I don't know where, I, I might, you know one of these things, you kind of either read something. I mean, I mean, I don't think Andy Stanley said it, but um, someday, I, I, or I made it up myself. I was trying to sit one day, was why is encouragement so less powerful than criticism? Do you, ever, do you ever notice that? Criticism's more, more powerful. I mean, if you get 100 letters telling you, or 99 letters telling you how good things are, and one stinker, what, what do you focus on? The stinker, don't you? It's not exactly what you do. And you say, why is that? And I, just, I, I thought about this. I thought, it's because, because criticism is always specific, and praise is always nonspecific. You say, well, give me an example. Well, say, let me talk, let me pick up in the worship today, which actually, to be honest with you, was amazing. It, it is it is world class in terms of their 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 uh, uh, anointing and and their action. You know, but if I was being you know if I was being falsely critical, I might say Ben, Dan, Dan. I say Dan. This morning, you wrote a tune. Okay, you were too slow. Didn't like your songs. You stood there with your eyes closed the whole time. You know, and so on and so on. Do, do you understand? That is protect. But if I, say if you did a good, I mean, I did it today, and I said, great job today, Dan. But it's much more powerful if I'd said, Dan, wow. It's just incredible. Thank you so much. You've got such a great voice. But I said, it was the way you used it and just, just opened yourself up to the Holy Spirit. 
I said the song choices were fantastic. You drew people in. You weren't the you weren't the performer. You were the you were the leader. You opened the door for it. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? So we said, let's do that. So we then we then tried to develop that. So I what I would do is I, if, if we had a visiting speaker, I would say I just go. I'd have about six people who had forewarned that I'm going to call on them uh, to give a little at the end of the preach. I'd, and I just go, D, would you would you just come up here and say, tell us what um, Joe just said, or what you thought of it? And if you said it was great, I'd have had your guts for garters. <laughs> you needed to go through it and tell them why it was so good. Could I can I just say it to you? See encouragement. Be particular in your encouragement, okay? If you're going to say what a great day today, tell people why. My name is Paul, by the way, P A U L. Okay, if you're just ever thinking about, it. okay. Uh, no, number number three, uh, number three. I've, I've got. Well, we're we're, we're time switching on. Uh, it's uh, and that, this was a difficult one. We called it um, growth. We wanted to grow. Now I know that I know that it's not about numbers. So there is a book in the Bible, about numbers and. Uh, you know, but what we wanted to say to people was actually there's you know there's whatever we have here there's room for you. Do you understand? I mean, I, I don't know. I, you know, I've been around this church for quite a long time. Not as, not as long as some of the rest of you. But, you know, there is a time when you go, it's not the same. There, there are a group. There's always, it's always happened. I mean, actually, do you know something? Somebody said it to me today here. A lot of changes, you know. A lot of changes, yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and we're not mentioning the Z word either. You know, no, we're not going there, so we're not. Uh, do, do, do you understand? And, and here's, the, here's the point. I, I, it's not just that I want to grow, but I don't want to be the same person I was. So this whole, whole idea, there's just too many people who don't know Jesus for us to stay the way we are. So what we want to do is to, is, is to make space, whatever that might look like. Now, here, here's the difficulty, and, and, and this is the way. I, one of the books I read that really, if you, if you ever want to understand spaces, I know it sounds boring, but it's really good, by a sociologist called Joseph Marr. I wrote a book called... Um, the search for intimacy. And he said, I, honestly, I find it absolutely fascinating. So he said that we find each other and we find God in four spaces. So what do you mean? Well, there's, first of all, he calls it the public space, which is like we had this morning, or like going to Aston Villa. So you have a shared experience of something that's happening outside of yourself, but for instance, if, somebody, if you're an Aston Villa fan and, and you're sitting beside somebody you don't know and they score, you, you hug a stranger. Isn't that, you know, you jump up and etc. It, it's just this, you know, last 89th minute goal, everybody's hugging everybody and you, and you go, ooh, that one didn't like that one, it's awful. You know, but you do it. And actually church, church is a bit like that. And the bigger the church, the more public space it is. And he said, he says, we meet God there. You don't need to know the person's name beside you. Because you still meet God there and you meet each other there. Then he talks about social space, which he reckons is probably the most needed space. I'm going somewhere with this in terms of growth. Uh, he said the, mo the most needed space in churches is not their sanctuary, but their social space. And it's having coffee afterwards. And so it's an appropriate space where somebody's, somebody's visiting and they're, they're walking about. And then, you know, you, you, there's, a, there's this distance and you go, hello. Did you, can I get you a coffee or anything like that? You know, you're not about to choose shower curtains with them or anything like that. You know, it's, it, there's, a, there's an appropriate level of connection there. But what he says is that when people meet in social space, their key thing is, could I fit with these people? That's what they're asking. 
are these my type of people? So that's a really good one to work. And then the second, the third one of simply is, a, is a, he calls it personal space. And it's like a home group. You meet in somebody's front room and there's a dozen of you. And there's a, you know, you're sitting much closer and it is named terms and it is, you tell, an appropriate level. One of, can I just, this, this, is we, this is for nothing. Don't promise people intimacy in personal spaces. You can't be intimate with 12 people. Honestly, it's a big mistake we've made. We go, if you want to be intimate with people in this church, come to a small group. Honestly, it doesn't work like that. Intimacy is the next stage, and that's a one-on-one. So whether you're married or single, everybody needs somebody in their life who knows them when they're naked. And I don't mean literally. Do you know what I'm trying to talk about? Who, who kind of knows them? There's an intimacy there. And with God, that's a, that's a, there's a connection there. Now, here's, here's the point, okay? It's the moment. The moment is that sometimes in churches we want all four experiences in an hour and a quarter on a Sunday morning. We want them all. And actually, they're not possible. There's appropriate places. You think, for instance, you do things one-on-one that you never do in a crowd. And I'm trying to be delicate here, but do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? There's a, there are things you don't do. The problem is that people have spaces that they, as church says, they prefer and they spiritualize it, and they go, if Jesus was around, he'd go to this size of church. So we had to try and work that one through of, what, of how we would best connect with these people and what we held incredibly precious, what we, could, what we could do and how we could engage without putting them off and yet, not, and yet being true to ourselves. So it's worth a think about why are we doing this here. And to me, it's all about... It's about uh, uh, um, um, it's all about God and about seeing lost people. Yeah, could, could I just say one thing? You know, people say, well, what's church about? It's all about people. No, it's not. It's for the glory of God. It's, it really is. It's for the glory of God. I can keep that in your mind. That's what church is about. It's about the glory of God. Okay, number, number four, uh, excellence. And this is one I'm sure Leon has hammered on about. But I do, think, I do think it's good because, and I don't mean we're going to be better than everybody else. I just mean we're going to, be, we're going to do the best of what we've got. All right? So we'll never be MTV because we don't have the money. So don't, don't worry about that. That's not the issue. But the issue is, are we doing the best of what we've got? Let me tell you a quick story. A friend of mine, Australia, quite a large church. And uh, one day this man came up to him and said, uh, I'm, go- I'm opening a coffee shop in Perth, Western Australia. And he said, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to tithe the profits. Tithe the profits. That means give 10%. In case any of you heathens don't know what that is, tithing. Okay. <clears throat> and he said, oh, that's great. So we'll pray for you. So they prayed for him. Six months later, he noticed no profits coming through. So he, he, he sought him out and he said, hey, well, how's the coffee shop going? Said, not great. You're not good. He said, oh, well, he said, it must be the devil because, you know, if you're going to tithe the prophets, you know, then it's a good cause. So brought him up the front and they, you know, they bound it, they loosed it and did all that they had to do. And, and then another six months went by, no money. So Phil eventually said, I, I need to go down and see this coffee shop. Because it's a big city. So he went down, got the address. And he went, hmm. So he found this, he found this little back entry and he finds this coffee shop. <laughs> and it's got beads, you know, like, like, like one of those clubs in the West End, you know. You peek in. And there's no, there's, there's no soft chairs. There's no newspapers. You know, it's just crummy. So the coffee wasn't bad, but he says, they're playing country and Western music. Like, it's really bad. It's terrible. You know, don't know if you're. Anyway, you know, it was just, it just was the worst ever. 
And the question, here's the question. What, what's, what's the question? The question is, would God bless a bad coffee shop? Now, it's a rhetorical question. Okay, would he? Well, why, my answer is, why would he? Why should he? You, mean, you may have the best coffee in the world, but if you can't get anybody in to buy it, what's the point? So the point about what we're trying to do is we're trying to connect with a culture here who actually, when they come in, they go, these people really care. Actually, this is really nice here. I, I never thought churches were. This is absolutely amazing. There's something, there's something about that. So I'll leave that with you, but we said we're going to do the best we can on that one. And uh, number five, uh, they are, we care. Uh, so in other words, we are going to, the interests of this group here our interests actually are to touch the lives of, of people out here. There's been a great debate. I don't know your, your social media folks, are you? In spite of what he's going to tell us later on. I'm not going to that because I'm an absolute serial. Uh, do you ever notice I'm on Instagram, Twitter, every night of the hour and day? That's why I'm on, seriously. I use it incredibly uh, an awful amount. And, uh, uh, but there's been a lot of things. There's a lot, big thing on the minute about social justice. And uh, there's been a paper written by a very conservative group of Christians uh, that, that I agreed with a lot of it, but not all of it, should I put it like that, without going into the details. But what we decided was this, that people only care about how much you care. And we discovered that, that within two miles of our church, it was among the 10% worst, lowest you know, income social standards in the whole of Europe. And so we, we were giving lots of money away to Africa and all over the world, but we weren't actually doing it on our own. So we decided we'd start something, and we started a little, um, we went to the council and we said, could we, could we buy a house from you or rent a house? And they gave us two, it's that bad, they gave us two houses, actually gave us two, and we did them up, and we did this a drop-in centre, you know, second-hand, all that usual stuff, but nobody came in. And there were two. There were two main reasons. That number one, they thought that we were, we were tax investigators spying on the community because they were doing the double. You know, the double is that you you work, you don't pay. You know, you don't pay any, and you don't declare it. And the second one was we never asked them. A lot of a lot of churches do that actually. They assume they know what the community wants. So we said, well, we said, well, why don't we just go and get a clipboard and go around and say, hey, we're starting this here. What what would you guys? What would help you guys? And they all said a laundry. It was, the, it was the biggest need, so we started a laundry. Sometimes you've got you to go with what the people need, not with what you think they need. And so we, we decided we would do that, and it made, a, it made a really, well, I think it made a really big impact. Our tagline is transforming lives, transforming communities. Okay, just so, just a, uh, when I, whenever I retired a few years ago, uh, we were, I, I keep the figures with me, it changes all the time, but it's basically uh, we employed 103 people. This is 20 years on. Uh, we we provided after school care for 250 children a day. Uh, we owned eight houses that we did to be fair uh, landlords. We owned a block of uh, uh, I'm trying to get it right nine apartments for women at risk, and we ran it. We we our primary focus was getting people into jobs, but what it did was it showed our community that these group of people here that he didn't really know much about actually really did care about them. Now, I, I'm going to say this to you because I know you guys are doing it, but this is my caution. And if, I'd, if I'd one thing that we did wrong over the years was we didn't sow enough seed. 
of the gospel. Because you can, you, can, you can help people in their lives, but they still need to come to Christ. Okay. Now listen, if they don't come to Christ, we're still doing it because it's right. Okay. We do it because it's the right thing to do. That's the bottom line. All right. But what we found was that we had incredible opportunities. And we said, if, if, the gospel, if the gospel is on a scale of where people are at in the gospel is, most people in Britain, most, a lot of people in Britain are, um, they never think about religion or Christianity, and the Christians are weird. Okay? That's not. Would that be, am I pretty, you know, they, there's just no concept of what it's like. But if you invest in their kids and their life, what you find is you move them up the scale, and eventually they come to a place where they go, well, Christians aren't so bad after all, and maybe there is a God. And we, 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 we had loads of people like that. And so years on, we, we said, look, let's make the opportunity. So we've now started a church from, to, from a couple who come from the area, who came down Alpha nine years ago, give their lives to Christ, and uh, they have planted out last Mar in March, uh, and they come from the area. So we decided we were going to do that. I, could I encourage you that it's really, it, it connects with our society in a way that nothing else does. And uh, I think in, in 30 years from now, with all the technological changes or cultural changes, it'll be a totally different world. But some things will never change. People will still be lonely. People will still be bitter. They'll still have resentment, regrets, worries, fears, and doubts. And uh, the church needs to be there to really touch their lives. So we did that, and that was a, that was a huge impact. We, we found, you know the parable of the sower? I was reading it today, just to let you know I was reading my Bible today. And it uh, <laughs> actually was. And, and I, no, I noticed, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Most of you will know there's one seed and four soil. Not four seed and one soil. So people are at different stages in their receptivity to the gospel. And what counts in the gospel is actually not the quality of the seed. Or not the, not the, um, not a, even how you sow the seed, it's the receptivity of the human heart. And if you could, if you can, because I am an Arminian, okay, and a Calvinist. I'm semi-Augustinian. That's why I describe my theology these days. Which, I'll, if you want to know what that is, I'll tell you later. Uh, but I, I uh, but what you find is that the more open people are to the gospel, uh, when you sow seed, the bigger the response you get. So I find that you don't save people by changing their world, but you change the soil of their heart. You change their receptivity, and they will listen, and they'll give you time. I was speaking in Inner East, as we call it, new church just about two miles from our existing one, and uh, it's completely blue, working, you know, I, you know what I mean, I hate using those terms, but you know what I mean, it is, it is, the shipyard is there, you know, it's that community, and it is brutal. And so you can say to people straight up to them, you go, hey, Simon, good to see you today. Are you saved yet? No, it's just straight up. Absolutely no. And I said to one guy, I said, the pastor's uh, uh, father, I said, hey, Jim, have you come to know Christ yet? And he went, I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> I thought it was a pretty good answer, actually, wasn't it? In other words, give me a break, will you? Okay, it's, um, I'll do one more and then we're finished, but I have had quite a lot uh, to do. Um, uh, one of the other one, one of the others was countercultural. I need to say this to you because you know, you know, and I, and I don't want to get into controversy here, but uh, there, there's there's a lot of things that you can adapt to. You connect with people who are here, and uh, but but sometimes you've got to go. Actually, we're countercultural. There's some things we're not. This is and I, people appreciate that actually. 
You know, there's non-negotiables and there's some things. I mean, we, we, although you've got to be careful how you handle that. I'll give you one example. About, I suppose it must be 25 years ago, uh, we had a, uh, we've got a pro-life group in our church. You know, folks who are very involved. And honestly, I, I'm, I'm pro-life. I'm not, I'm not going to pass judgment on anybody, but I am pro-life and I support pro-life uh, charity, a particular one, and have done for many years. And they said, could we have a bit of time on a Sunday to talk a little bit about what we do? So I said, okay. And uh, unfortunately, they put up posters at the back, uh, which were uh, pictures of, aborted babies, etc. which if you've ever seen them, it's pretty gruesome, to be honest with you. Uh, and so, you know, we had a really good Sunday, people signed up, etc. But the folks who were in the life group said, uh, in the pro-life group said, could we keep the posters up all the time? So we thought about it and said, no, we can't. We, we can't do that. We, we, we're unashamedly pro-life, and we will not, we're not anti-abortion, without being pro-life, if you know what I mean. We will, we will support someone who wants to keep their child and give them options. We'll do that. But if we put up posters here, the first thing that people come in, there's going to be women who've had one, two, three abortions. I know loads. And they're going to go, <laughs> when they find out about me, they're going to hate me here. Do you, do you understand? So you've got to be countercultural and yet be sensitive as well. And it's 25 past, and we said we'd finish at that, okay? Wasn't that, wasn't that, it was better than you thought it was going to be, wasn't it? <laughs> okay. A couple of the others were, uh, just for a finish, uh, the other one was um, creativity. Uh, let's do things that are, so we did a lot of art stuff that would connect with people. Uh, inclusiveness, and that's, a, that's another one. Generosity, and you pick your own. That's, that's my point. You, you, but my, my encouragement is, change, the, change, the, change this and you'll change the connection here. Because they, they always hear, one last thing, they always hear this through this. Go in peace, my child, okay? We, we done okay? All right, everybody. Yeah, great. Hey, why don't we give it up for Paul? That's fantastic.